This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Michael Edgeley for our podcast spun off from the main show where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams, our moments of the week and plenty more as we've said a number of times. It's not necessarily the highlights, it's our highlights, the stories that caught our eyes. So Derek uh, and Edge, a big show lined up. Um, uh, I know we, we like to share a few little sort of suggestions to each other about what we've got, but we do keep a few other things up our sleeve. Yeah, we certainly do. And as usual, the, we're spoiled for choice, Rob, when it comes to particularly our game a game of the week. It could have easily been the uh, the Liverpool game, which um, we spoke about in so much detail with uh, James Pearce earlier uh, in the week. And it was a pulsating game, but I've um, picked the game that uh, also ended for ended 4-3, and I just felt like, from the Premier League's point of view, there was a little more riding on this game, and this was, of course, Palace versus West Ham. Um, and, of course, West Ham edged this one 4-3. Uh, they've gone through the 40-point the barrier, and, of course, it leaves um, West Ham in all sorts of problems. The schizophrenic nature of this um, relegation battle, I think, we weren't quite calling West Ham safe a few weeks ago, but we felt with the games in hand and their trajectory, you know, if you're a betting man, you would have bet on them staying up. But this one puts them puts them right back in it, and um, the eagle and the Eagles are now 11 points clear of the bottom three. And we just have to point out just what an absolutely fantastic job that Roy. Hodgson has done. I don't think any of us picked this one. I think we all scoffed at it, saw it as a complete, you know, step backwards, moving away from the fledgling career of Patrick Vieira. But you know, having having that early success last season to go back to a, you know, a man in his mid seventies, you know, up his allotment. I think, as I said at the time, but what he's managed to do to this Crystal Palace team, not only make them. Uh, a difficult team to be, but they're just scoring goals all over the place. And that was um, Vieira's Palace's uh, biggest uh, biggest problem. And um, they were four two up at one point before West Ham got got the uh, got the goal back to make it make it close. But it's just the way that Jordan Ayew has come to the party. Wilfred Zaha has come to the party. Eze's looked absolutely sensational since uh, Roy Hodgson came back. So uh, tremendous victory for the Eagles and um, West Ham's prospects probably just about as bad as their kits. It's taken me all season mm-hmm. to flag that and see that West Ham away, away kit is, well, Blackpool's. It's uh, white and orange and mm. it's horrible. And I've got no idea why this is their away kit. And no wonder they, they, they lose and play so badly in it because I don't see how it's remotely near the history and identity of the club. So I hope it's not the kit that brings them down. But after that loss, Rob, uh, we do worry about West Ham. Mm, I know. It's, uh, well, I was uh, 
thinking of suggesting we get our old mate Roshane Thomas from the Athletic on this week to to, to deconstruct it because uh, Roshane is a you know he's a passionate um, uh, hammer himself and uh, and and really sort of gets uh, under the skin of what's going on down there. But like you said, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, I actually was at a party on Saturday night and spoke to a mate of mine who uh, who was just back a he's an expat Londoner and a West Ham man through and through. He'd taken his nine year old son a couple of weeks ago up to the Arsenal match and. Um, and uh, you know he was in tears with the emotion. It was his first, his son's first ever game, and um, to think that he went to a match that was on the eve of relegation, um, he uh, he was not very happy at all. Um, and I like what you did with the word fledgling, talking about the Eagles there. Um, uh, Mm-hmm. Derek, that, that sort of didn't go unnoticed, uh, referring to Patrick Vieira. All right. Um, well, that was a classic match. Um, um, Edge, um, you, you've got a, a cracker for us. And I had to do, do a bit of a double take when you threw your suggestion up for uh, for your game of the week. So tell us all about it, man. Well, I mean, football teams all over the world are competing in competitions and they all have their own stories. And as you said off the top of this uh, program, Rob, this is not about, you know, the games of the week. It's, it's what's important to uh, us and our own uh, following of football. So in Bangkok, there's a team called Port FC. They are the Klongtui Army. Uh, Klongtui is the challenge neighbourhood of Bangkok. I don't call it a slum. I call it a challenge neighbourhood. And the club is owned by an insurance company uh, and the local Port Authority. It costs uh, less than $1.50 Australian to get a ticket to go to the game. They get about 10,000 people, but they're third. they were went into the last round. There's three matches to go. They were fourth on the ladder. They need to get into third place to qualify for a playoff spot in the Asian Champions League. And they went up to play the silver tails of Thai football, the big daddies, Buriam United, who win the competition every every year. And they uh, they went up to Buriam, which is right up the north of Thailand in a in a region called Isan. Uh, they have the wealthiest owner. Um, they are uh, super super depth in the team. And Port FC rolled over the top of Buriam United three two to keep their Asian Champions League alive. And I could imagine all of the fans. Uh, there's about hundred and eighty thousand people live in this uh, challenge neighbourhood. In very um, simple and uh, rustic and you know, no water no power you can imagine what it's like they all wear the the, uh, the port fc lions top and that place would have been pumping and i just thought i'd let you know that you know, it's amazing the sort of players that find their way we know that there's professionals that are journeymen uh Burim united um they opened the scoring in the 42nd minute harris vukic he scored now harris vukic spent Nine years at Newcastle United. He also spent three years at FC Twente in Netherlands. So he's got good, pre- uh, uh, he's got very good pedigree. Um, Port FC with um, Ayrton Tirabassi, uh, a Brazilian player who's spent time at pa- uh, uh, Paraná, Athletic Paraná in the Brazilian First Division, and also Sal uh, Bento in the Brazilian Second Division. Um, he he got the uh, the one one, uh, and then Super Chai. Chided, he scored for Berea to get him 2-1 in front. Before, Sounds like a cup of coffee. Before Warachit, Cancer and Bumpen, he was the one who got the, the, the brace at the end of the game to get Port FC over the top. They come from behind a win. So I just thought that was worth me telling a little bit of a story. And Port FC, two games to go to hold on to that third position and qualify for a playoff, maybe against a, an Australian team. Well, how can we claim to go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game, Edge, if we don't? 
So, uh, right. And no. I just want to, um, my second game of the week, I just want to... You can't to... have a second game of the no, week. No, 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 no there's no very, second game of the week. Very uh, simple. I just wanted to make a very special shout-out to uh, Besiktas in uh, Istanbul who rolled over the top of Galatasaray in what is the uh, the second biggest derby of Turkish <laughs> football in Istanbul. Besiktas, uh, third on the ladder, Galatasaray on top, uh, are going to win the league, but... Besiktas rolled over the top 3-1, Rob. And I mm. imagine uh, the environment around Bilo- Bioglu and uh, Galata, where Besiktas is based, I imagine uh, the music was pumping and uh, the fans were smiling. And so well done to Besiktas. All right, we'll allow you that one, especially after the uh, the, the, the uh, challenges that the nation of Turkey has had over recent months with the earthquake. So uh, now that uh, that would have been a result to bring joy to, well, at least many Besiktas uh, fans' hearts. Okay, now I would um, not have been forgiven for, for uh, selecting the Liverpool-Spurs game, which I suggest, you know, my two Arsenal friends here on this podcast um, would have been inclined to do. Um, however, um, I'm, I'm going to steer away from that because we did have James Pierce on the main show so you can go back to that show to have a bit of a, a listen to that and uh, I thought if we're going to go international I, I should um, and, and I shouldn't make it sound like I'm only doing it because it's an Australian game but the uh, um, I, know, I know you're going to touch on um, this game in a moment to edge in another part of the story but uh, despite the disappointing crowd of 6,200 and it's an issue we've obviously discussed many times credit has to be given to Melbourne City the Premiers who rewarded the faithful with a last minute winner in their final home game of the season thanks to Marco Tilio's brilliant double uh, that delivered them a very very dramatic 3-2 win over Western Sydney so so it was a cracking game it deserved a full house um, at uh, uh, at Amy Park it didn't get it and, and it was a wondrous team to be fair they had plenty to play for too because a win for them would have met a week off. Instead, they get a derby as their reward. And it's, in fact, uh, doing a little bit of homework. It's the first Sydney derby in A-League history um, um, this weekend. So we haven't seen one of those. That'll be a great game. But they're not the team I'm talking about. Uh, to just a recap, in case you didn't see the game, of course, it was in form soccer attacker, Brandon Borello, who uh, scored first for the visitors, 41 minutes in. Then Tilio equalised four minutes into the second half. Nikolos Milanovic uh, from... Um, he uh, put Western Sydney ahead in the 74th minute and it looked like they were going to get the result, but then none other. Jamie McLaren, Sydney's goal-scoring record breaker, scored the equaliser a minute later. So it was just a, a real arm wrestle at this point. And just when it looked like uh, the game wasn't going to sort of reach another height, uh, it did. So Wanderers goalkeeper Lawrence Thomas, uh, we love him on this show. He saved Andrew Naboot's penalty in the 78th minute, but then Tilia sent the cousins of the noisy neighbours into dreamland with his winner in the 93rd minute. So, so a huge uh, uh, pat on the back to Melbourne City for and Western Sydney Wanderers for putting on such a, a great show on the night that um, that the, the triple uh, premiers uh, raised the uh, raised the, the plate. And, um, and, and uh, even though there was only 6,000 or so people there, um, they made them very happy. It sets up some massive game this weekend, mm. doesn't it? Mm. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers at Sydney FC mm. in elimination final. Mm-hmm. Sydney has been, uh, you know, behind the eight ball all year. They just could destroyed Mark Rudin's weekend in a big mm-hmm. way, couldn't they? 
Oh, but and uh, and as much as Mark Rudin and um, and uh, Stevie Corica like each other uh, and surely sort of uh, share uh, a, a glass of claret over a barbecue from time to time, uh, uh, not a, it will be just as fascinating to watch what's going on in the technical area of that game after some of the events of uh, of this season so far, Michael. Um, now, um, well, why don't we uh, carry on, Derek? Um, so into um, your um your team of the week um we've got a few good candidates for team of the week this week yeah well firstly i'll i'll, I'll tell you who is not my team of the week and that is sheffield united who just, yes they got promoted to the premier league and well done um but they actually created a trophy a made-up trophy and actually lifted it in front of their fans for finishing second in the championship and then did like a lap of honor with it so we are the champions by queen that's well, the, the, they're not the champions. It's a made-up trophy. It's brilliant. I think their argument is if you win the playoff, you get a trophy, so why not them? Which maybe is an oversight, and so maybe you get the Premier League promotion trophy. But, I mean, bloody hell. They're, come on, Sheffield United. You can do... They could do better than that. I was going to say, you could do so much better than that, Sheffield United. Welcome back to the Premier League, though. Um, but my teams of the week are Plymouth and Ipswich. Um, uh, this is League One, so they're going to be playing in the Championship next season. I couldn't split them, and the league hasn't really split them. It will go all the way to the the final game of the season and decide who is the champions in that division. Plymouth have kind of come back from the brink, possible insolvency, relegation 10 years ago. And the Pilgrims, as they're known, Beat Burton Albion 1-0 at home to secure their promotion back to the uh, the championship. And uh, Mats uh, Luongo is his team, uh, Ipswich, who were in free-fall themselves for uh, for some time. Um, uh, they managed to uh, score five goals in 32 minutes as they trashed Exeter City. Uh, I'm sure the Plymouth would have loved that result, Exeter being their local rivals. But they and, pitched, and Derek, just to jump in yeah. briefly, a useless fact about Plymouth? The largest city in England never to have a representative side in the top flight. Right. Well, there you go. Um, and it's also where Francis, Francis Drake was playing bowls when the Spanish Armada was spotted off uh, spotted off the Cornish coast. And uh, he said he would finish his game of bowls and still be the Spanish, which, of course, we he did. Um, we'll, cover him, we'll cover that in Hot Topic next week. But... Uh, yeah, Ipswich doing a great job under Kieran McKeough, you know, a rookie manager. So good good luck to them in the championship. Obviously, an Australian involved in that, as we said. Stephen Schumacher um, has helped um, Plymouth race to the top of the title as well. Um, so well done to him too. So uh, yeah, they're my teams of the week. Well, I'm going to skip through because we are uh, sort of uh, uh, a little loquacious this week and I'm spending probably more time than we typically would, but I don't want to underscore the or under um, uh, estimate, if that's the right way to describe it, the, the, the performance of Catania. Now, would we normally talk about a side being promoted from Serie D to Serie C just one year after bankruptcy? Of course we wouldn't, um, despite the fact that Edge um, talked uh, about a uh, uh, you know a very uh, sort of niche um, result in uh, his uh, opening game of the week. But when an Aussie businessman in Ross Pellegra and a couple of Socceroos legends in Vince Grella and Mark Bresciano are involved, then we definitely do 
is. Uh, uh, Vince Regari, and we touched on this one earlier on in the season, mainly because of the way Vince described it. He uh, he wrote of football fans, uh, specifically this uh, famous Sicilian club, some fans wave protest banners, others gather signatures on digital positions and a special f- petitions and a special few when they're upset with the way their football team is being run, prefer to break into the team's home ground in the dead of night and leave up behind a severed pig's head decorated with a wig and a pair of glasses to imitate the chief executive they wanted sacked immediately, along with an unsettling, threatening message foreshadowing a physical attack by masked ultra. So Vinnie Grella, he, he was known to uh, to uh, to get involved in some of the uh, the willing stuff uh, in his time as a player. Uh, he is the CEO, so no pig's head for him. Um, Catania had obviously been a City R club not uh, that long ago under Diego Simeone, uh, so outstanding result for them. They dominated uh, the competition, 22-point advantage with six games uh, still to be played. So well done to them, up to City D after. Uh, and, and, of course, it's, it has to be said that they're a Phoenix club um, that, that went bankrupt. Um, so, uh, uh, But, um, hey, it has to be done still. And amazing atmosphere as we talk in the main show. Earlier in the week, the Jungle Drums definitely suggesting that Pellegra might be on the lookout. I think as Willem suggested, Adelaide United, maybe it's not them, but uh, uh, someone will be on the lookout, Michael, for him to wave his magic wand over, over them. Well done, Rob. That is a great story and some fantastic images and uh, three Australians making an impact uh, at that club in Italy. Like you said, from uh, the fourth to the third division, it's uh, not something that we would normally celebrate or draw attention to, but uh, uh, fantastic to see some great Australians of Italian heritage giving back where it counts. Um, my team of the week is Sydney FC. Anto Juric, they won the double. We spoke about it pretty extensively in the main show, but uh, Madison Haley, who scored a double and has been a big part of Sydney FC's success this year. Um, I listened to another podcast during the weekend and heard her interviewed, and she was just absolutely fantastic. And um, she talked about her father and her father's uh, influence on her career, and I just thought I'd go to the Wikipedia page and check out who Madison Haley's father was. And believe it or not, his name was Charles Haley. He played in he was he played in five Super Bowl championships: two with San Francisco 49ers, three with the Dallas Cowboys in the from the mid nineteen eighties to the mid nineteen nineties. Um, he was the first player ever in the NFL to win five Super Bowl championship rings. He's only been bettered by Tom Brady, believe it or not, who's won seven. And I think Australia's the only country in the world where he'd be referred to as Madison Haley's father. That's exactly right. But what stood out to me was he was a, a defensive player and he, um, in his career he, he made over 500 tackles and 100 sacks of the opposing quarterback. So he would have been a mean bugger. But I can tell you what, what stood out to me that is after his career, Rob, he, uh, he suffered from bipolar and he has dedicated his post-football life to two charities who've done some massive work uh, in uh, assisting uh, less fortunate people who've suffered from that infliction. So, mm-hmm. Madison Haley, you're a superstar and your dad's a superstar, but Rob's right, in Australia, you're not Charles Haley's daughter. Charles Haley is Madison Haley's father. <laughs> Very nicely done. Well done. Uh, all right, Derek, uh, moment of the week for you, mate. Yeah, just a really quick one, given we're against it. It wasn't lost on me over the weekend that uh, Barcelona played their youngest or fielded their youngest ever player, uh, Lamine Yamal, who was uh, going to turn, he's going to turn 16 in July, came on for 
five or six minutes um, for Barcelona at the weekend in in their win. But I, what I wanted to flag was that um, not just that, but Barcelona were, were playing Real Betis, and of course on Betis's side is one Joaquin, who's uh, forty-one. He's actually older than me, um, and uh, still <laughs> means that I uh, hope is not not lost yet for my professional career. Um, he is going to retire at the end of the season. He only needs a few more games to be the number one uh, overall um, uh, caps or uh, appearances in La Liga uh, overtaking uh, Zubi Zaretta. And I just feel that was amazing that you had on the one hand a 15-year-old um, and then you had uh, a guy who's 41 who you know started his career before the other guy was, was born. He'd already played like 300 games before the other guy was born. So this shows the uh, the breadth of our beautiful game. Yeah, no, no beautiful. And I love uh, Zubis of Retro. That's one of my favourite names in uh, in the history of football. Okay. Now, briefly, again, James Pierce did talk about this earlier in the week, but my moment of the week was uh, old mate Jurgen Klopp, uh, who uh, has got Liverpool back on track, but um, I don't know that his emotions are. And I did reference um, a, a, a press conference where James um, was uh, called to task. He wouldn't he wouldn't even answer James Pierce's questions uh, um, earlier on in the season because he'd, um, he'd asked him a, a question a few tough ones from him, um, but um, referee uh, or the referee at least of the uh, the, the the match over the weekend against uh, Spurs on uh, Sunday night our time, Paul Tierney. Uh, Klopp says, uh, uh, we have our history with Tierney. I don't really know what he has against us. Uh, he has uh, no problems. He has said there are no problems, but that cannot be true. How he looks at me. I don't understand it. In England, nobody has to clarify these situations. It's really tricky and hard to understand. What he said to me when he gave me the yellow card is not okay. Uh, now, the background to the story, it does go back a little while, and and uh, and Jürgen does have a very long memory. In 2020, uh, Tierney reportedly told Klopp to get over it after um, he admitted he'd missed a foul on uh, Georgino Wijnaldum in a game against Aston Villa. A year later, he approached Tierney and said, I have no problem with any referees, only you, <laughs> after Harry Kane escaped a red card uh, uh, and uh, Liverpool ended up drawing two all against Spurs. And, uh, and then uh, in January this year, after a loss to Brentford, Klopp said he'd approached the officials, including Tinney, to discuss the decisions made during the game. And he said, that's exactly the same as I would talk to my microwave. You get no response. It's always the same. So, Jürgen, um, I think you've got to start sucking it up a little bit, mate. Um, you injured yourself in, in this protest against Tierney, uh, celebrating the winner, um, pinging your hammy. So, uh, as a Reds fan, mate, I'll just say lighten up a little bit, brother. Um, you're uh, you're doing very well on these referees as much as we all um, can't stand the decisions they make from time to time. Um, we can't play the game without them, Michael. Also, Rob... Um you know, Jota should have been sent off for Liverpool for a absolutely horrendous challenge on Skip, which was about five, you know, a few feet off the ground, stud showing. So I don't, you know, Klopp's just got to look about the tape first before he makes these decisions. Because leaving aside the historical stuff, if Tini had actually spotted that properly, uh, given it the red card as it deserved, then Jota wouldn't have been on on the pitch to make the winner. I can see that fair point. And as any refer yeah. a manager would obviously say after that, that he saw all the bad stuff, but he wasn't watching when the shit stuff happened. Edge? He certainly wasn't. Um, are we up to a moment of the week now? 
<laughs> yes, we are. That's what we're talking about, mate. What are you just uh, uh, doing other business while we're, we're, we're carrying on, mate? Um, yeah, Guardian I Football did. Weekly style or what? Oh, yeah, I did drift off for a moment. But my moment of the week was I don't open Twitter very often, but the other day I opened it and uh, I saw it. You don't open Twitter very often, for God's sake, mate. How often do you breathe? That's about as often as you open well, Twitter. You're open always it on it. Three times a week, but uh, I was uh, on the couch uh, on Saturday and I opened it up and I saw a tweet from. Tony Ising, for those listeners around Australia who don't know Tony Ising, he was a, a driving force behind behind the establishment of Melbourne Victory, and in particular, the brand and the colours, which have Correct. been so iconic. I remember I had meetings with him um, uh, uh, in my other guys um, in the in the media before the club started, and uh, he, he if anyone questions the, the legitimacy of that story, it is true. He came up with the big V, the victory, um, the whole lot. And that brand lives on as being iconic for football in Australia as Melbourne Victory has established itself and as the uh, you know the, the big daddy of um, membership clubs in the A-League. Um, but he did tweet, and excuse my French, it's actually not my French, it's his French. I'm going to quote his tweet uh, because he tweeted a photo of an empty Amy Park in Melbourne Victory's last match of the season. They obviously finished second bottom on the ladder. They've had a horrible season with what happened off the park and the impacts and the fallout. Nanny's ACL, you name it, everything's gone wrong for Melbourne Victory this year. But he tweeted uh, a very cryptic tweet, which I just thought was deserving of the moment for week. He tweeted, sometimes I wonder what the fuck people have done to my club. And I thought that was a very apt comment from somebody who um, can hold his head high in terms of his contribution to the Melbourne Victory narrative and story. And no doubt he's like many other Melbourne Victory fans who looked at this season, at least their men's team, and thought, WTF, Rob? If, as you freeze, I think I'll just finish the last word. I won't use it in the same sort of uh, exuberant manner that you used it uh, in its literal sense a moment or two ago. But it, it is right. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. But if you, if you want to have a bit of a laugh, look at the rest of that thread because Tony does engage with a few of the people who, who were jumping on with him. And uh, if you want to have a bit of a giggle, uh, jump on that. Look, I'm just going to briefly, we're going to wrap up hot topics very quickly, guys, because we do have to bring this home. Um, I, I, I did flag again in the main show earlier in the week um, the, uh, the embarrassing scenario that played out for uh, the Australian Professional Leagues that they sold the grand finals to Sydney and in the end, one of the worst case scenarios played out and it could still play out in the men's competition but it certainly played out in the women's. There is absolutely no question whatsoever. I know, Michael, you don't want to underplay the the result of Sydney FC. Um, they um, they uh, deserve uh, all of the plaudits that are coming their way. You can only beat the team that's against you at the venue that you play them against. But the fact of the matter are these. There is a game, a game day to be played. They missed their opportunity to, to win the home grand final. Western United took it and uh, they advanced to the home grand final. And because of the decision was made, they didn't get it. And Sydney FC end up having around 6,000 home supporters uh, barracking for them, albeit in Parramatta. And they're from the other side of Sydney. Fair enough, but it's only a one-hour drive, let alone... Uh, um, that the you know the thousand kilometres for the very small group of Western United fans to trudge. So that's my hot topic of the week. Um, I know I'm not the only one to have called it out, but that's uh, that's um, that's my hot topic of the week, um, and uh, it will uh, not be lost to history that there should be an asterisk against that victory for Sydney FC. Uh, Derek, um, what about you, hot topic man? Oh, just a really quick one. I'm I'm fed up of defenders running around with their arms behind their backs. What's going on? Like literally what's going on like they just it's like it, because of that the handball rule is now so brutal you know towards any instance where the ball 
uh, flicks uh, any part of their arm. They just don't feel like they can defend with their arms anymore. And what it means, like they're they look like a bunch of people that have escaped from asylum with the straight jackets still on, like with their arms <laughs> sort of tucked behind their back. And I just I'm, I'm just fed up of it. Um, of course, for for all football fans. Being an ex-defender, I absolutely agree with you, Derek. I think it's actually changed the game, especially at the elite level, because they do make a very concerted effort to hide their arms at uh, different stages of uh, organic play. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether this rule is working. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it actually has changed the game. Do you think it's a good thing, Rob, or a bad thing? Oh, look, I agree with both of you. It's um, it, it, All it's made uh, is the, the referee's um, decision even closer. I mean, um, their arms um, are, uh, um, you know, there for um, the the purposes of hanging off their shoulders, not, not to hide behind their, their backs and pretend that they're, they're not uh, interfering with the play. So, no, I think uh, you're both right about that. All right, Edge, uh, just briefly, um, your hot topic. My hot topic was a shout-out to Tracy Holmes for bringing to light the significance of uh, the former Matildas not getting invited or uh, not getting tickets, let alone being invited to a VIP event at the Women's World Cup for the Matildas matches coming up. Um, I just wanted to shout out to Tracy who uh, handled that story very eloquently in mm-hmm. only the way that we would expect her to do. Um, mm-hmm. But if I was involved in Football Australia, I'd be hanging my head in shame. That is an mm-hmm. oversight of epic proportions. We talked about it in the main show. That's one my talking point. Um, you made the very significant uh, and obvious point that there's still enough time to fix this up, and Football Australia will. And if you're a former Matilda, no doubt, you'll be invited to all the Australian games. But um, having said that, I just wanted to shout out to Tracy Holmes for drawing the attention of the public to what was a, an oversight of proportions that are bigger than epic. Yep, well done. Okay, couldn't agree with you more, Michael. Okay, Edge, um, well done, mate. Thank you. Um, you're heading off back to Bangkok. We'll be talking to you ne- next week in the main show, mate, when you're, uh, you might be watching uh, Burian FC um, or Port FC, I should say, uh, um, uh, play live. When you're yeah, I'll there. get back in time for that. I'm looking forward to that. But um, can I say I'll be hot and sweaty in Bangkok next week, Rob? Yeah, I expect nothing less. Uh, Derek, thank you. Yes, thank you, gents. See you next time. And Damo, thank you uh, for making sure the show sounds as good as it does every week and uh, we were able to bring it to you, our uh, great listeners, uh, in all of its glory. Make sure you subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS. Follow us on Twitter. Leave us a lovely rating if you wouldn't mind. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as those podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.